Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church, and we're located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Our podcast discussions seek to deal with the intricacies of worship planning in local churches. I'm Cynthia Wilson, Worship Executive and Director of Liturgical Resources. I am Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries. This podcast is developed to discuss and share ways to plan worship using the common lectionary while creating worship series that are engaging and relevant and adaptable for your church setting. However, during these unprecedented days of physical distancing and leading online worship, we've endeavored to provide conversations that examine the challenges of producing worship and finding ways to help those worshiping with us to stay engaged and feel connected even from a distance. Our theme today is Creating Beloved Community in Worship and Beyond, and we'd like to welcome our guest, Don Wiggins-Hare, who is the General Secretary of the Commission on the Status and Role of Women for the United Methodist Church, where she served since 2013. General Secretary Hare earned her Juris Doctorate degree at the University of Alabama School of Law. Welcome, Don. We're so glad that you're with us. The Reverend B. Kevin Smalls is a native of Washington, D.C., presently serving as senior pastor of Hope United Methodist Church in Southfield, Michigan. Reverend Smalls was a history major at Claflin University in South Carolina and received his Master's of Divinity at the ITC. Reverend Smalls received his demon from United Theological Seminary. And Reverend, we are so glad that you were able to join us in this conversation today. We're recording this podcast a few days before the national observance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. No doubt, many churches and communities have been planning ways to incorporate this observance into their worship services individually, as well as collectively. Therefore, it's not our purpose in this podcast to plan a service of worship, but rather to reflect on the ongoing influence of Dr. King and the ideals he espoused on worship in the United Methodist Church, and particularly what it means to worship as the beloved community. Now, as already mentioned, churches will observe or or celebrate Dr. King's day in a variety of ways. But as with many items of of substance, and one-off observance won't help the church realize the ideal of becoming a beloved community. So how do we move toward that dream? And what steps need to be taken to move from where we are in this mess of a 21st century church uh, into something a bit more inclusive. So let's take a moment 
and define what we envision when we use the phrase beloved community, both as we understand it from King and from our own understandings. This phrase comes to us from 20th century philosopher and theologian Josiah Royce, then made popular by Dr. King, whose overarching fundamental vision for a healthy environment that can only be described as inclusive, just, equal, and that elevates unity, empathy, reconciliation, compassion, and love. Churches involve corporate musical responses, hymn texts, various rhythms and genres uh, selected from a variety of regions that mirror the rich multicultural picture of various places in the world, symbolizing the primary themes and goals, deliberative dialogue and healthy conversations. And so let's talk a little bit about this idea of the beloved community. Derek? Well, it's a high calling uh, to be sure to to reach for something that we would call the beloved community, or perhaps we might even use the term the kingdom of God. But it's it's beyond where we are, that's for sure. But perhaps there are glimpses of hope that we might be able to see. I want to ask Secretary Hare if if from your perspective, as you deal with the status and role of women over the time that you served there, what what do you see that gives you hope for the future of the church as a beloved community? Uh, we are coming off of a celebration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment with women getting the right to vote. Um, next week, the first woman <laughs> will be in a major position of leadership in this country, in the United States, with uh Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. I, I'm gonna tear up if I think about that very much because that is incredible. Um, it's incredible for women to be seen as in, leader, in leadership. It's incredible for young uh, girls and boys to, to have that modeled for them uh, because beloved community to me um, and I believe that Jesus felt beloved community is the recognition that everyone is created in the image of God. And that means that the power should be equal and should be shared. Dr. King spoke about the importance of having love when you are in positions of power. And uh, I think that that has been exemplified by the election of a, a woman. So I'm, I'm very, that gives me hope, Derek. That's where I am. I, I hear that. And that's, that's a national uh, excitement, I guess we could say. It's an opportunity for us to say that there is hope in general. But even within the church, you know, as you see women involved in leadership roles of various kinds, how many women bishops that we have and and women pastors in in churches. When I when I served one of my churches as an associate pastor, there was a, another associate who was a woman, and uh, and she was moving on to a different church, and she was talking to the children about her moving, 
And they said, and she said something about who was going to follow her and that it might be a man. And one of the children said, you mean a man can be a pastor too? <laughs> so we have to change people's vision of what leadership is about, what being a pastor is about. Exactly. So do you see these things beginning to happen in, in the church? Yeah. And, and, you know, we we continue to uh, collect data at the General Commission on the status and role of women. Um, and the the example you were just given, 2016 was a phenomenal year. We had four African-American women elected as bishops across the United, United Methodist Church. That was significant. Hmm. In my home jurisdiction, the southeastern jurisdiction, uh, we, it was the first time an African-American woman was elected. Bishop Leontine Kelly had actually been a member of the uh, southeastern jurisdiction. But when she came along with all her brilliance and capabilities, she was ignored by the delegates at that time. In 2016, however, Bishop Sharma Lewis was elected. Uh, so there is there is uh, hope, no doubt, with the inclusion of women. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I'll stop there. Thanks. <laughs> It's it's hard not to talk about the anti hope, you know, or, or the fact that it's not leaking down to every corner yet. Exactly. Yes. And that in in some ways we still got a long way to go, and and perhaps that's what gives us a little despair from time to time. You know, we have this image, this vision of what could be, uh, but we never seem to get there, or we don't get there as 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 far down in in the local churches. You know, the face to face. Um, so how, how do we begin to change that, I guess, is, is part of Well, you know, we spend a lot of time singing about it. And I think of all the songs but from various contexts that speak of the, the kingdom of God, of, of coming together, of being one, being united. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, we can sing our way into it. And there are glimpses of hope in, um, in the worship that we see taking place worldwide because this pandemic has shown us that we can worship with people across across the world, you know, and, and listen to their music and um, and make it part of who we are as well. So for me, glimpses of hope of of this beloved community is just sort of um, going worldwide. And um, and I love that. And something that I that happened recently, we we did a Christmas video um, where we uh, had Silent Night sung in German, Spanish um, and English. And um, and people took that on and they and they sang in those other languages. And and they and I thought that was just a transformative moment that uh, we can go beyond our comfort zone and take on another language and, and hopefully start to understand another culture better um, in doing that. And then, of course, those cultures that, that see others trying to um, sing in their native tongue, it's just such a, a welcoming um, part of worship. And I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. So for me, I see those glimpses of hope um, happening more and more in the in our the way we worship and in what we sing because we live into the song um, and you know the preaching helps so much and and saying the creed but man when we when we vocalize it with our soul that's 
that's going uh, even further. Indeed. Well, and, and King used the songs that the people knew to to guide their feet as as they marched, as they as they protested, as they moved toward this idea of beloved community. It was the songs that that gathered them in and and sent them on their way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Reverend Smalls, do you have some some thoughts and what some cutting edges um, are happening in the work that you are doing? Um, absolutely. I think the way I would describe the work um, I'm I'm engaged in is that of bridge building, um, and you know, part of the beloved community that Dr. King spoke of rested upon the concept of total relatedness. Um, We in United Methodist circles call it really connectionalism. Um, And it's something that we've typically been able to brag about, but we've been challenged lately with um, concepts of connectionalism. And I worry that we have become um, a little more segregated um, within the bounds of our annual conferences and, and even our districts. Um, and when that happens, you know, we, we there's distance and we no longer know each other and we no longer trust each other. We no longer connect. Um, so I have thoroughly um, been in conversations with white and black clergy Um, and even laity in terms of the need for us to reconnect um, and for us to get back to doing some of the things we did together. When I was growing up, this was a very intentional part of United Methodism. Um, So while legally you can desegregate, uh, you can't legally integrate in terms of uh, coming together, having conversation, being very honest about the dynamics that are around us um, Mm -hmm. in a way that we're not defensive. Uh, So we have to do extraordinary amount of work in terms of listening and building the space to engage the sociological concept Dr. King had around you know, we're all bound together in this common thread of destiny that was that was his language. Um, so he, he strongly felt um, that this work can't be done without us recognizing our need for one another. That was very controversial then. It wasn't received by everybody then, and it is not now. So it's just, I, I, I feel that I'm a person on the ground. I'm a local pastor. I, I pastor in the local context. Um, and it starts there. It starts with Southfield to Detroit to Michigan and beyond. Um, and I, I, I would like to think my work is to destroy or deconstruct is a better word, some of the fear that we have and that we've developed. And that fear is a result of disconnectedness. Um, so that's kind of where I see doing that work in writing, in preaching, 
and workshop leading and in experiences like these. So how, how do you move from the local church to the larger connection? I, I very much appreciated that that's where you started your, your conversation, that we're becoming in many ways in our denomination a congregational church. We're looking inward. We're taking care of ourselves. The, the beloved community we describe is the people that worship with me week after week. But but we need a bigger vision than that. We need the connectional vision that you were describing. How do you move from the local church to the district level or the conference level or even the denominational level without losing something of that knowing and being known? Well, I, let me let me suggest I do think the strength of the denomination will always be connected to the strength of the local church. Amen. And when there's weakness in the connection, that's because there's weakness on the ground. And we're seeing some of that. We're seeing some of that, sadly, as well. We're seeing a deterioration of of prophetic, viable ministry, vitality in, in some local settings that were once those things. Um, so I think a good burden is on the appointed preacher to preach, witness, um, make room for, exemplify, and to lead the congregation in connection with other churches, other communities. Um, we have to work at diversity and our experience of diversity. Mm -hmm. I think uh, on a local level, what I've tried to do is I've tried to bring in preachers and musicians from other persuasions um, because I know that my role is to expose the local context to the larger church. But my other role is to remind the larger church of the local context. So it's, it's uh, you know, I think it's some, some of all of that. And I do worry about the lack of commitment that some of us may have in the pastorate. Um, to, to pursuing this kind of work. And let me say that it is not easy. Um, I My local church ministry is in an African-American context. That context expects me to name racial, social um, injustice, including naming the names related to those. Um, that's much harder work in in the white context um and you know i think a lot of our pastors have have really pushed that envelope and have gotten slapped on the wrist for that as well you know in in terms of their local contexts so i don't mean to suggest it's easy work but i think it's work we have to figure out a way and homiletically um at hope church i have to be very forceful about this message. And in some contexts, it may be one sentence in a whole sermon. You know, so sometimes you can empty a bag of seeds and sometimes you can only place one, but you do need to be in the business of getting rid of those seeds <laughs> in one way or the other. Amen. So, Test them. so yeah, Amen. so I, I don't know if I answered your question totally, but I, I think it's the dance right. mm -hmm. uh, between the local and the connection. Um, and we're not enemies of each other. Um, 
we we need one another to maximize our witness locally and in the world. So I um, I'm privileged to kind of engage the work in that way. Well, and and while we started with hope, and 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 I always prefer to start with hope, but I think we also have to call out sin when we see it. We have to call out evil and and that which destroys community and and the actions. And we can celebrate who's coming in as the leader of the nation, but but the way the current occupant is going out is is something that I think we have to draw attention to and 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 identify that as the opposite of beloved community, that divisiveness, that violence, that that evil that we saw raise its head. I, I think we have to name that. And I know in some contexts, as you were saying, Kevin, that, that that's hard in the white church because, you you know, there are people all over the spectrum politically. And so you don't want to offend. But sometimes you have to call it out. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to name what is broken. The right. whole pandemic of racism. There, there are many pastors, many preachers afraid to speak that truth. And yet yeah. it needs to be spoken. It's a it's a courageous act. And, and, and I, you know, I think we're all seeing that there's a lack of that. Um, and I love what you were saying, um, Dr. Smalls, about um, being that intermediary between the local church and the and the wider connectional church um, and about building trust. And it does have to happen at the local level. It's got to start there in the grassroots. And and going back to what Derek was saying, what's happened recently in uh, America has really torn at the trust and um, and rebuilding that. I think that is um, it can be left up to the church to to start repairing, rebuilding. Um, And if we take if we take it on and be courageous and speak evil, you know, speak to evil and. I think people are are needing that, uh, uh, you know, like never before. And I pray that we're up to the task. What do you think, Don? Well, I I I think this in some ways comes back to the Nineteenth Amendment, uh, or at least what I've seen, and that is that when a greater group of people were recognized as having power, this the power of the vote or being have having the franchise. And that uh, did not include all women 100 years ago. It included white women. And we have to own that. And we have to be very aware of that, that it was in the civil rights uh, era. And with the Civil Rights Act is where finally um, black women were able to vote. And we've seen the power of black women getting out the vote Mm -hmm. and I think we can also ask congregations, ask our friends, what are the questions to ask so that they can analyze these things for themselves and hopefully the scales will come off their eyes and their hearts will be softened. But why is it where where women and black women have exercised the the right to vote? Why are those states being called into question? Why is there an aim at certain disenfranchisement of voters? Why are all folks not being seen as created in the image of God? Why are all people not being seen as having equal power when it comes to franchise? 
and the peaceful power exchange, which this all boils down to. But I, I do think we have to ask our fellow United Methodists, um, and I use fellow as a generic term, not a gender term, okay? Uh, but I do think we have to ask them to ask themselves the tough questions. Why, why, why are there only particular offices that are being questioned? Could it be because there is an African-American woman that is the vice president? Why are there only particular states that are being examined and questioned? Could it be because there was a strong push by women and women of color in those particular areas? I just think we have to ask the hard questions, too. And Don, so Don, as as the general secretary at COSRO, um, and I'm thinking now of the event that we're just coming out of. Um, and I recognize uh, the role that you played in pulling that piece together with strong, amazing women from across, not only from across the church, but even beyond the church who are serving in major roles across the world. Um, so, so you all took the bold step to speak to those things and speak into the hearts and minds of the women who were participating or just listening to that event. Um, so, so I'm assuming that you all received feedback from, particularly from the main speaker, um, who is controversial even in her own right, but you all brought her in. She is not United Methodist. What, in fact, she is she even in the Christian faith? I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, so, so what did you hear? What were you hearing back from the women who have um, participated? In that in that event that Cosmo just finished doing, yeah, and I'll just share that uh, the event was our Women's Leadership Summit. Where and and thank you, Dr. Wilson, who also participated with us. We um, our keynote speaker was Nadia Boltz Weber, which um, I and I will just say that I thought. I thought she was very tame and received uh, by, by most people. In fact, I had several leaders, women leaders across the United Methodist Church go back and watch her presentation again because they felt it was very inspiring. Uh, she led two panels for us, one where she was our keynote, but she also led a very thoughtful panel of a group of women uh, different ethnicities across different spectrums, different uh, faith groups, and they talked about women and women's bodies and women's images and the different challenges that women have to uh, to overcome in being seen as equal. Uh, it was it was very thoughtful. Um, and a lot of really good information. I, I think the biggest thing we've had a request for, especially across our central conferences, was when can you do an event like this for us? When can we be included uh, to talk about the challenges of women in our context and to share that? And uh, so thank you for, for sharing. And that information is available on our website too. You can still go in. You can't see the keynote speaker. There was a, a time limit on being able to, to tap into that, but the other presentations and some powerful worship by uh, our president, uh, 
Bishop Tracy Smith Malone and the president of the Council of Bishops, Bishop Cynthia Fierro Harvey, and specifically on franchisement uh, by Bishop Hope Morgan Ward. So there's some great pieces there for folks to reference. You know, there's a there's a word that has been stirring in my belly, um, especially as it relates to the ways in which uh, government leaders have uh, chosen to be silent um, and to not speak truth to power. The church hasn't really been that far from that madness. Uh, we look a lot like uh, what the government looks like uh, in this space and time. But the word that's just been ruminating in my belly is circumvent. Um, the word uh, meaning going around. And the church has been not only just walking around this elephant that's been in the room for these many years, but it has really decided to not even um, call the elephant an elephant. Um, so I'm not really sure what's going to happen as far as our denomination is concerned, um, whether or not the General Conference will make some bold steps toward um, really speaking truth to power and really being intentional about building community uh, because before we can be community, we've got to say that we're not community, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and stop pretending uh, that we are the church and that we are the connectional system uh, and that we love each other. It's just kind of a lie right now. Um, and I just hope that, um, and, and, and I'm not really, um, I, I didn't grow up in the United Methodist Church like maybe some of you did, but I grew up in, in a, a denomination and in a household where my parents did not allow us to walk around a lie, but truth had to prevail in our home. And I, I just pray that the church really takes a, just takes a stake and put it in the ground and say, this is who we are and this is who Christ has called us to be, beloved. What does that mean from the, the, the mouth of God, from the mouth of Jesus, and for the ways in which the Holy Spirit speaks? I'm going to, uh, I know that our engineer is thinking that we have probably lost our minds and we need to finish this. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. But uh, Reverend Smalls, I want you to just have the last word for us, if you would, and then we're going to do a closing prayer. So speak to us. Just tell us one word that we can lead this conversation with. Well, again, thank you for, for inviting me. I think when there is so much, whenever there's social unrest, as we have seen it, it always exposes the location of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, it rips the roof straight off of us. Um, and, you know, in the past, your effectiveness is really based on the lack of conflict that is created in your appointment. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of pastors are struggling to stay out of conflictual areas or else they will acquire the name of being ineffective. However, the word was circumvent for you. The word for me has been that which is lifted up in ordination, two things. Mm -hmm. One is take thou the authority. Um, 
to preach the word of God. And once you don't have that, then you're irrelevant mm -hmm. as a leader in the faith. Um, and I think we all have to step back into the authority at the expense of exiting parishioners. Um, some will be back, some won't. But nevertheless, I think we, we, we've got to be courageous in that way. The second thing, um, you know, when, a, when candidates are, re, are, uh, are uh, examined before an annual conference, that question will you visit from house to house. Um, and the expectation of us, I think, is to very much be in the neighborhood, uh, regardless of the conditions of that neighborhood. Methodist clergy should be seen in the trenches, on the ground, where brokenness is. And we're always alive, ironically, when we're in the midst of broken places and speaking to those places and speaking to those needs. So, so I am hopeful, but I am not under any false sense of um, overthinking in that this is a piece of cake. It's going to be harsh. Friends will be um, challenged friendships. Um, but we have to get to that place where we march on till freedom is won. And I hope that we'll be able to renew that. You know, when I was a teenager, we had the local church mirrored the connection. So on a local church level, you had Cosro, you had work area and religion and race. Mm -hmm. you, you had these pieces to keep that awareness alive in a local context. And we've kind of lost some of that and that may be um, to our detriment. Nevertheless, uh, I thank you for the conversation. I think our work is cut out for us. And uh, anytime Dr. Weber is in a room, she <laughs> has a way of igniting things. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that boldness and thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much. We, we are bound and determined to have the two of you back by hook or crook. We thank you so much for the ways in which you make us smarter and wiser um, and more um, more and understanding our calling to this thing called Christendom. Um, Don, if, if listeners would like to hear more about Cosro uh, and the ministry that you are engaged in, where can they find that information? Well, there's a question I like. Uh, it would be, to, we have two websites, actually. One is uh, GCSRW. Um, that would just, you can just Google the General Commission on the Status and Role of Women and come up with our website. We also uh, manage the sexual ethics website for the United Methodist Church, where if someone has a complaint on sexual ethics or clergy misconduct, and that is umsexualethics.org. So either one of those, gcsrw.org or uh, sexual ethics, uh, United Methodist sexual ethics.org. So thank you. Or they can just email me at dhair at gcsrw.org and I will email you back. Well, there you go. And, and Diana said something important uh, that I, I really know for sure. You understand very clearly, Kevin, and that is how important music is to worship. So friends, you, if you're listening, just know that if you just need a word from the Lord in song, you can go to Hope 
United Methodist Church in Southfield, Michigan. I promise you, you will shout and never tire. Reverend, tell us how we can find you in Southfield. Yes, by all means, uh, feel free to pull us up, uh, www.hopeumc.org. That is our basic uh, web page. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, Hope UMC Southfield, and a YouTube page, Hope UMC Southfield. Um, and make sure Southfield is in there because there are a few other Hope UMCs. So um, we'd love to see you. And we're on every Sunday at 10. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you both for this time. And uh, friends, remember uh, that you can also find more information about Discipleship Ministries. You can go to our website, umcdiscipleship.org. Again, that's umcdiscipleship.org. And you can find more information and hear more amazing work uh, from the hands of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Derek Weber and Dr. Diana Sanchez-Bouchon. My name is again Cynthia Wilson, and we appreciate you listening. And until next time, let's continue to pray with and for each other, for our families and congregations and the leaders of this country. And may God bless your worship ministry as you continue to make disciples for the transformation of this world. God bless you. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.